0: Morning, Nathan. Happy Mother's Day. We value greatly the work of mothers, and especially the godly mothers we have here gathered today. So, thank you, moms. My daughter's now a mom, so we appreciate that. We see the unimaginable work. That's why husbands go to work. And that's why the pandemic was so difficult for many men. They had to stay home and watch the kids, and they found out, wow, that's what you do? So there's, since the pandemic, I believe there's been a greater respect and appreciation for the work that mothers do. So thank you for that. This morning, if, if you're new, first welcome our visitors. If you don't know me, my name's Alan. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, Welcome online everybody. Uh, We are on a three-part series. We're actually on the second message of a series entitled, The Way of Light and Truth. And that has been our theme for the year, God's Ways. And the promise uh, that God gave to Moses was, or, or the prayer that Moses prayed to God was, teach me your ways so that I might know you. So we learn God's ways so that we might know Him. The way somebody is isn't just what they do. I do a job, but I am a certain way. And that is unchanging. And so God is unchanging in his way. So we, when we find something that is God's way, we're finding some, out something about him that will not change. And it's not just simply something he does. Uh, an example is we know throughout the scripture, and especially when we see Jesus walking on the earth, he healed people. But if we look over the whole of Scripture, we find that God's name in the Old Testament was Yahweh Rapha, which means I am the Lord your healer. That's God's way. It's his name. It's who he is. It's not just healing. is not just something he does. Just like our mothers, a mother isn't just a job you've decided to do. It's actually who you are. And our mothers, sometimes they have bionic ears and they, they hear kids crying when nobody else hears anything. And they know it's their kid. You'll hear, you'll see when we used to have the nursery back there, you would hear, you would hear somebody crying and all the mom's ears would perk up, but only one would <laughs> run back. They'd be like, nope, that's not mine. That's somebody else's job. Um, and so when we talk about God's ways, we're talking about something, a part of him that is unchanging, And that's why it's so important. And uh, last week, we began to consider God as light. Light isn't something he does. We find everything about God is represented in the word light. In the beginning of the book, we find in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness moved over the surface of the deep. And God said, let there be light. The first act of God was to create light. And light is synonymous in the scriptures with good. Darkness is synonymous with evil. Light is synonymous with true, what is right. Often these terms are used interchangeably in the scriptures as well as in daily life. The battle of Light versus darkness. We understand that to be, if that was a movie title, you would understand that's going to be a battle of good versus evil. Light also represents openness, confidence. Though I know my house well, at night I turn on a light. That gives me confidence, it aids me, it's a help, gives me assurance that where I'm walking, Arya hasn't left marbles. And so, uh, part of our consideration of God as light comes with Jesus actually declaring it in John chapter 8. He said, I am the light. Walk with me while you have the light so that you don't walk in darkness. And by Jesus saying, I am the light, he is saying, I am not hiding. This is me. I am open for all to see. You want to see what God is like? Look at Jesus. He is light. Everything about his life is a revelation, an opening, a showing forth of God and what he's like, unchanging. Hebrews even says, Jesus Christ is the same, yesterday, today, yes, and forever. He's not changing. There was nothing hidden in his appearing. And so, uh, much of what we considered last week circled around this idea that God is light, Everything his everything he does and his ways are light; they aren't hidden. They're to grant confidence. They're to provide opportunity for us to navigate this place successfully. We considered, uh, you know what? I'll wait. We considered last week Genesis chapter three, um, where the serpent came and tempted Adam and Eve, and I'll just mention this briefly. Because what we considered last week was that light is for the eyes. What we're going to consider today is truth is for the mind. And these are very closely connected. Light and the eyes, truth for the mind, are very closely connected. In fact, your eyes are what send information to your mind. And your mind is what processes all the information it's getting from the eyes. So vision is actually connected eyes and mind. And one of the things we saw last week, just by way of many, very many review, is that the serpent came and spoke to Eve and asked Eve, this is all in Genesis chapter three, and we're going to go there at the end of the service too. And the serpent asked Eve, can you guys eat of the tree? Alan's paraphrase. And Eve said, of any of the trees we can eat, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. She said, in the day you eat of it or even touch it. So she added to what God had said. You shall surely surely die. And the serpent said, you won't die. God knows that in the day you eat of it, you'll become like him, knowing good and evil. And that passage says, when Eve saw. What's that? That's a vision word. Light. Light in our context, also includes words like revelation, insight, internal illumination. Ah, I saw that for the first time. That's a common phrase that we use. I saw that for the first time. And we don't necessarily mean I saw it with my eyes, but I understood it. I perceived it as true internally. And so when the serpent was talking to Eve, when Eve saw that the tree was good for food that was an internal seeing so what did the serpent do he raised suspicion about god there's darkness in god god doesn't want you to be like him god doesn't want you to know good and evil god's withholding from you there's some dark spot in god's character so he raised suspicion about god's character to god uh, to eve And upon consideration, the scripture says, Eve was deceived and she saw another revelation. She got another revelation. Oh, God is holding out on me. The tree is good. So she took the fruit and ate and gave to her husband who was with her. So he wasn't off tilling some back 40. He was right there with her the whole time, offering no guidance or help. And it says, then the eyes of both of them were opened. This alternative revelation, this suspicion raised about God, produced a different kind of seeing. And one of the first things they did is they saw they were naked and went and made fig leaves for each other. So one of the first things that happened when Adam and Eve sought to find out what's good, determine what's good and evil for themselves, is they saw something about themselves, and they were ashamed. What formerly God had called fine and good, Genesis chapter 2 ends with God giving Eve to Adam and saying, and the man and the woman were in the garden, and they were naked and unashamed. And in Genesis 3, after eating the fruit of the tree... They were naked and now ashamed, and so they covered their nakedness. Exposing the fact that, first off, we cannot determine for ourselves what's good and evil. There are too many factors that we don't have the capabilities of determining. God is the one that defines good and evil, what's good and bad. Secondly, Upon trying to do it, they got it wrong. And they covered up as bad what God had called good. Secondly, when they heard God, they ran from Him because they were afraid. And God came and found them out, and they had discourse and they talked. And God found out they had eaten. Of the fruit, and that the serpent had, was to blame. In all of that account, we find a lot of uh, reference to vision, seeing. All of a sudden, they saw something. They saw, oh, there is darkness in God. Oh, the tree is good. And upon eating, they said, they found out, oh, what God called good, God was walking, letting us walk around here naked. What was he thinking? So they made fig leaves for themselves. So they called bad what God called good, and they tried to fix it. And when they heard God, they ran from him. If you follow biblical study, there's a, there's a term called the law of the first mention. And it says that uh, the first time something is mentioned in the Bible, it lays out the principle. And in this passage, this is the first time in the Bible that we read about or see the word fear. So fear is always connected in some form or fashion to sin consciousness, to I'm not good enough, to punishment. There's a whole ball of yarn in there, but at its lowest common denominator, fear is connected to sin consciousness and I'm separated from God. So um, in keeping with Judah's, Three bottles of water example. Judah used three bottles of water several weeks ago to represent the three components of a human being. Body, spirit, or body, soul, which is mind, emotions, heart. And then he had a third bottle of water representing the spirit. And I like a cell phone better because our spirit, when rightly alive and rightly functioning, is in connection, in communication with God. We are made one spirit with the Lord. So I'm not trying to one-up you, Judah, but I didn't have a third water bottle. (laughs) So I was looking for something, and I thought, oh, this will be so clever. Um, So in short, in the beginning, Adam and Eve were bundled. The part of them that died when they ate of the fruit was not their physical body yet and not necessarily their soul because they were still thinking and choosing. What died was the part that was connected to God. And that was represented quickly in the fact that their vision was now skewed. It was off. It was incorrect. So they now called... uh, They now saw, supposedly... There's darkness in God. He's holding out on us. He has a hidden motive. Then they saw something that God called good. They they called it bad. And then when God came, they ran from him rather than running to him. Saying, please forgive us. We were wrong. We took of the tree. There was none of that. Instead, they hid. So that being our platform... Light and truth are very closely connected. So it, we aren't really leaving the idea or the subject of light, but I want to flip the coin over. One side of the coin is light. The other side of the coin in this teaching is truth. If we could have the passage in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 28... In Proverbs twenty two twenty-eight, Solomon writes, Do not move the ancient boundary which your fathers have set. Why? You're a farmer. Nate the farmer. Kendra the farmette. <laughs> Why don't you move the boundary that your fathers set with their neighbors? Because if you move it, you won't find the right place again. Once you move the border, once you move the marker, you won't find it again. Because it was set by your father and his neighbor. Not that I'm calling for a surveyor, but my neighbor and I mow each other's grass He mows part of mine, and I'm hoping it's out of kindness, not out of claim. So, obviously, when I mow, I mow more of his, which may be his ploy. Maybe that's just his way of getting me to mow part of his grass for me. He mows a little bit of mine, so I mow more of his. Mine is as claim, saying this is mine. So ultimately, when we sell the house, we're going to have to get a surveyor because we do that. But this is relative to truth because once truth is moved, then it becomes subjective. And that's what we're going to be considering today. Um, if we could have the, uh, the John chapter 3, verse 3, and then I'll go to John chapter 3, verse 5. Last week, we also, Judah, ended the message talking about being born Again. And this is very important to this whole idea of light and truth. Um, One of the Pharisees, one of the teachers came to Jesus secretly and said, teacher, how do we do what you're telling us? What is this that you're doing? And Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot, and what's the word? See. See the kingdom of God. Obviously a sight word. Verse 5, Jesus answered him again and said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter. Here's our second word, enter into the kingdom of God. Um, This was upsetting to Nicodemus because this idea of being born a second time was, first off, he's one of the first to find out. And it's groundbreaking. It's life-changing. He had never heard of such a thing, and we still have people today. Uh, We talk about this idea, especially in church life. Are you born again? When were you born again? I was born again when I was in college, my sophomore year. But what is born again? You hear people say, you one of them born-againers? I think that's a Western PA term. You a born-againer? Well, what is a born-againer? Well, a born-againer, in short, is a person who, along their passage of life, came to a realization inside that Jesus Christ was real and that his sacrifice of himself on the cross was actually him taking our place and in substitution, taking my penalty upon him and that being the only thing God would accept for me to be reconciled to God. So a born-againer is a person who has received a conviction within, I'm a sinner and I'm desperately lost separated from God, and Jesus is the only way for me to return to God through accepting his sacrifice of himself on the cross. Last week, we began to consider just a little bit what happened when you were born again. And I believe if you are a born-againer, you will have, ha- you will have something similar something along the lines of references to, I felt clean. I was, for the first time, at peace. I was assured, I knew in my heart that God had accepted me. How, I don't know. I knew I was going to heaven. For me, in my little dorm room, I was not only aware of these things all happening. I, I don't know which was first and which was last. I became aware of peace and cleanness. I could say, I know I'm forgiven. Now, up until this point, I don't even know what that word meant. I was very hostile. I was a hard partier, not a light partier. Not cat- I boasted, I'm a hard partier and a rock and roller. I don't even know what forgiveness wasn't in my vocabulary. I wasn't even a church goer. So how can I, a person who for all life function, wasn't in church, didn't know the language or lingo, and yet here I am saying, I know I'm forgiven. And it was as if God's presence moved into the room, and I can't tell you how or why I know that. It was as if I knew someone else was in the room with me. His very living presence. I remember it so clearly. And I believe most people remember what happens on the day they really submitted, finally submitted to Jesus Christ and prayed the prayer. Whatever prayer you prayed. But all of those happenings are representative of Sight. Light. When Adam and Eve sinned, this part of man was now cut off from God, separated. So all of our information came through our mind, our choosing, what I want, what I want to do, and our body, how I feel. When you're born again... One of the things that happens is this part, our spirit, is made alive, according to the Scriptures. Comes alive, and it is marked by real signs of life. It starts to work again. And one of the first things it does is the light receptors are once again turned on, and you begin perceiving and knowing things that this guy can't figure out. The mind part of me cannot figure out, how do you know you're forgiven? How do you know you're going to heaven? And that's the argument we hear today. How do you know? Because they only know this. They can't understand that this, especially as a cell phone, which makes it a much better illustrative point and prop, is it is connected it is able to receive so much more its capacity to receive is so much greater than this it boggles this so when we start off as newly born again people some of the first initial light we receive is it's okay You're in God's family. You're accepted. You're at peace. You're forgiven. He's here. He's not here to harm you. He's here to help you. Uh, Love. I felt loved for the first time, many people say. And this guy says, I don't know how I can know it, but I do know it. Because light, the spirit told the mind, this is what's true. And at that point, because of grace, your mind was able to say, oh, okay, you're right. Our two words that we considered in John chapter 3, verses 3 and 5, unless a person is born again, he cannot see. That means perceive. And that's what we see happen to us. That's how we knew something happened. We perceived it in a living way. This wasn't just something I concocted on my own. I was fighting, kicking, screaming, being drugged by everything. But upon being born again, I perceived things. And that is, it, biblically, you began to receive light. You began to receive input from God's end that you could not know through your mind or your body. Our second word in John chapter 3, verse 5, says uh, where Jesus said to Nicodemus again, Jesus answered, truly, truly, which means, if you don't listen to anything else, listen to this. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This word enter does not mean join the club. I I think if I was going to go around the room and say, what does it mean to enter the kingdom of God, we might be grasping for definitions. And if you would have asked me some time ago, I would have said, well, it means you're part of the kingdom, which doesn't help you. That's good religious speak for we're in the club now. But that's not the word that Jesus uses. The word Jesus uses, the word Jesus uses for enter means become an active participant. In order to enter, my house, Carol Offholder's house. In order to enter the house, you must take your shoes off. Now that doesn't mean you take your shoes off and stand in our house at the doorway. That means in order for you to become an active participant in all that we're doing here in this house, you have to take your shoes off. Then you can run on the rug. Then you can become an active participant in the life that's taking place in this house. So Jesus again says, Unless a man or a woman, unless a person is born again, they cannot become an active participant in the things of the kingdom. Not just a member. You're expected to be an active participant. So, let me describe it like this. Uh, There is such a great parallel between natural birth and our spiritual birth, our being born again. In our natural birth, for many months, we are alive, definitely, but in the dark. We are not an active participant in the outside world. We're actually living in, our womb is cutting us off from what is going on. So, if you see a a woman who's pregnant at the grocery store, her baby is not an active participant. You wait till you have a toddler. You'll know the difference. (laughs) Ring, and everything falls off the shelf. That's an active participant. Sloppy, desired, yes. Undesired, not desired. But until the baby is born, it is not an active participant. But upon birth, one of the first things that happens to a baby is It perceives this world that they were in the whole time but could not understand and could not interact with. And so one of the first things that happens, their little eyes go open and shut. They're trying to adjust to new light. They begin hearing sounds in a new way. They begin seeing the world that they've been in the whole time but couldn't interact with. Isn't that such an excellent parallel with us spiritually. For me, for 18 years, I was walking around darkened to a whole world that was around me the whole time, but I could not interact with it. I could not enjoy it. I could not participate until I was born again, until I came through the one way, the one door, who is Jesus. But now, Having been born again, or now having been born naturally, the child is alive, it's active, it's moving, it's hearing, it's seeing. But we know that's insufficient. There are laws, there are rules. There are great benefits. There are great dangers to this new world you've entered. There are helps, and there are traps. You've been born into a war that was going on long before you knew it. There are opportunities, good and bad, actually. And choices, some choices good, some better, some best, some bad, some worse, and some worser. All of that comes, does that infant know that? Absolutely not. But that is the world they've been born into. So in addition to to needing light. Light is essential, and it's a mark of being alive. That That child also needs a map. It needs boundaries. So it is given parents. It is given siblings. It is given support. So in the same way, us, when we're born again, we come into light, and light is normal. Light is the way we're supposed to walk. We are supposed to walk as childrens of light because Jesus said, I am the light. I'm not hiding. This is how I am. This is who I am. What I've said is true. It is just the way I have said it. There's no hidden or dark motive. But just beginning to see and perceive things spiritually is not enough. We need boundaries. A good friend of mine, when I first came to this church, and I was a very young man, Uh, he was a college student and one of the women in the church came to him one day and said, the Lord spoke to me and said, you're going to marry me. This is one of the dangers of just walking by light because we can see things wrong. We can have, uh, he obviously was attractive to her and she was able to convince the Lord to tell her. (laughs) And if he wouldn't, she would Pretend to the We do that sometimes. Lord, will you tell him to marry me? No, my daughter, I'm not going to do that. Okay, that's okay. Thus saith the Lord to me. Marry him. He's yours. Well, he had the best response. He said, well, he didn't tell me, and so I'm not marrying you. (laughs) And that's the rude awakening of just being people, and we know it. We see it. We have the kooky Christians. I have seen and probably been one of those. The people with the strange ideas, and I heard this from the Lord, light is not sufficient. We also need truth to give us borders and boundaries. We don't know yet. One of the first lessons I'm sure we teach our toddlers is about a law. It's called the law of Gravity, you will not fall up the steps, dear. You will fall down the steps. We teach them about rules. Look both ways. You know what? I could say that. I could say those three words, and everyone in this room would understand what it is. It's one of the rules here. Look both ways. And when you're in England, look the other way first. I still have that habit. When I'm in England, I look the wrong way first. The child doesn't understand these, and neither does the young believer. And neither does the old believer. And so truth comes along to give us parameters, to give us borders, making our first verse this morning significant. Do not move the boundaries, the borders, set by your fathers, Don't come up with your own truth. For successful living, light is needed, required, and so is truth. Truth isn't just nice, it's necessary. Otherwise, people with, uh, especially young believers with little truth, will go by their light. And that light can still be manipulated in many cases. And that's why we as new believers are given God the Father, Jesus our intercessor, Holy Spirit our helper, our guide. Interestingly enough, Holy Spirit is called in John chapter 17, the spirit of truth. And Jesus said, he will guide you into all truth. Because God's way is truth. There's nothing about him that is lying or holding out. There's no hidden motive. Everything about him is light and truth. Those are good things to get settled, and they can be an answer to people here. Because ultimately, when we talk about this message, we aren't, gonna, we aren't just talking about some ethereal doctrine. We're talking about, no, this is where the rubber meets the road, this is our everyday. This is a requirement. Truth is a requirement. Light is for the eyes. Truth is for the mind. And both are critical. Both are essential. Both are fundamental aspects of God's character and the way he does things. Jesus calls himself the truth. Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth. And the Bible is called the word of truth. God making it, making truth abundantly available to us. This really is what is true. This is what is so. There's no darkness, no lie. In fact, Satan and the devil are both terms used to describe lies, liar. Satan is called the true liar. He'll use facts to lie against you. The devil is called the false liar, meaning he just makes stuff up. Throw it against the wall, see what sticks. See what works. See what will work on you. So, up to this point, hopefully we understand that light needs boundaries. Light needs borders. And at the same time, this wonderful mix that God has done... Truth becomes a vehicle for light. If we could have Psalm 103, please. Or Psalm 119, I'm sorry. No wonder. You like Psalm 103? You didn't give me that one. Psalm 119, very famous passage, but also very important. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. These are light words. So your word actually becomes a source of light. And the idea here is very similar to our 2 Peter chapter 1 verse where he says, pay attention to the prophetic word as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Now, we don't need to go there, but that's 2 Peter chapter 1. In both, both of those scriptures, New Testament and Old Testament, identify the same phenomenon. Your lamp, your word starts off to me like a candle. A small light. Stick with it until it becomes the dawning of the day. But I will say this. Even a candle is a great help in a darkened room and in a darkened world. In a darkened room, even a candle will give you confidence, assurance. You'll be able to get where you need to go But God is actually telling us, my word has, there's a way about truth that it'll start off as light, genuine light. You'll know something that there's no way you can unknow. But stick with it because it will become, that little candle will become the dawning of day. Jesus said it like this in John chapter 8. If you abide in my word and my words abide in you, then you will be my Disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The truth will not just inform you. The truth will not make you smart. The truth will not help you win arguments and give you a doctorate. The truth is intended to make people free, and that is a light word. That is a sight word. What truth is intended to do is become a lamp to my feet. Uh, Psalm 119 verse 130 says this, the unfolding of your words gives light, makes free, shows where to go, shows how to get there safely, shows you the context of your life, how you're supposed to make the best choices. It gives understanding to the simple. So, in all of these examples, we find out that, yes, light comes straight from God to the Spirit, but also, if the mind will begin to engage God's Word, God's Word has an ability in itself, truth has an ability in itself to also open light so that these two become compatible. Romans chapter 12 says that uh, he, Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 12 and says, I encourage you, present your bodies to God, a living sacrifice for the renewing of your mind so that you might prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. That is a life proving so that your life might prove what God's will is and that it's good, that it's dependable, that it's trustworthy. So God gives light to the Spirit, but in a supernatural, miraculous way, God also gives light for walking through His Word, and they're both freeing. They're both necessary. They're both required. You know, I I hear a lot of clamor in these days from people in the church to We need to be doing the miracles that are in the book of Acts, and we need to be going out, and we need to be doing all those things that we see. And I'm all for that. What what I'm not for is people with no light trying things. And once you minimize the light that God's word gives you, which is just as miraculous, once we downplay the fact that in private, people through being involved with God's word, through being involved with teaching like this. I have no ability to impart light to you, but if I will speak the truth, God has the ability to walk through this room and open something for somebody. And all of a sudden somebody says, oh my gosh, I see it. Now that's not me, but that's why it's so important to handle truth because the entrance of God's word gives light. So we can be changed in a meeting. We can be changed through our time with God's word because those are all sources of truth or at least are intended to be sources of truth. Teaching is intended to be truth-based. Just an explanation, just a giving of the sense of what God says. Because unfortunately in America, we think the Bible is written in American. And if the Bible says it, that's what it means. You born-againers. And what we forget is, you know what? English was not the native language, and there is some study, there is some application that we need to consider. This was written in another language. What did they mean? Which adds to our journey, the fun of it. But nonetheless, the light we receive in private is no less miraculous than you walking out on the street and performing miracles, and I would add this, if you're a person who's walking out on the street and performing miracles, I bet it's because in private, you received light and truth from God. So, if we want to go out and do more miracles, let's, in private, receive more truth and light. Yes. Because God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path to show us how to walk in all things. And the entrance of his word gives light. It gives understanding To the simple. So, truth and light are so interconnected, so necessary to work together. I confess that when I was first a believer, I was a bull in a china shop. And I had lots of light and very little truth. I still didn't see the importance of going to a good church, and I read my Bible and God gave me things out of my Bible, but I also took some things and made them sound the way I wanted them to sound. So, I was a bull in a china shop until some good friends took me aside and said, "Uh, we love your zeal, but it's not always appropriate. You don't stomp through the stream if you're going fishing. You don't wreck the house of somebody you're visiting because of your zeal. And so, I had to learn, and I learned well along the way, and sometimes through hard lessons. Light and truth are mandatory. They are required for living. And they're both two halves of the same coin. And light is very involved with truth, and truth brings light. So hopefully, from these two Beginning messages, we understand that light from God's standpoint, light is for the eyes, truth is for the mind. God, Jesus said, I am the light and I am the truth. Nothing about me is false. I've not misled you in any way. I've not misrepresented myself or showed you something false. So in all of that, that is God beckoning us Come to me, because as Donovan mentioned, we find ourselves in situations we don't understand and situations that aren't of our choosing, and we need help along the way. And some of that help will come directly from God. Some of it will come directly from His Word. Some of it will come directly from fellow believers. Some who say something to you by accident that's an answer because God just used them. Some that will come from older believers that are offering wise counsel because of years of experience. But now this brings us to Genesis chapter 3 again, because the account in Genesis chapter 3 of the serpent talking to Eve and Adam and questioning God's motives and suggesting hidden motives and hidden agenda, and this offer of alternative revelation that produces skewed vision and a separation from God rather than a running to Him, that is relevant because it happens every single day. That passage from Genesis chapter 3 is not just an account historically of how mankind fell and came, fell out of God's plan, but it also describes our ongoing walk down here. You see... Light, I said it before, is not just nice, it is necessary. Truth is not just a good idea, it's required. Just like gravity is not a good idea. You better have it down. That's a lesson you better have down. Look both ways is smart living. And so the devil knows... We were born into a warfare wherein Satan himself and his host are against God. And thus, you were marked. Upon being born again, you were marked as an enemy. Now, you were just a toddler. You were an infant and then a toddler. And you hadn't hurt anybody. You hadn't hurt Satan. You hadn't hurt his demons. But you were born into this conflict because you were immediately a threat. Because if you grow into what you could be, you could be a serious light in the world. You could be a serious representative of God and a useful servant. So from a young age, the devil's got to do a couple of things. He's got to snuff out light and distort truth. Because without light and truth, we are unstable. So with Adam and Eve, he distorted truth and snuffed out light. They no longer saw things the way they were. They no longer uh, had that union with God that they once had. Part of what we see in our society today is No light and no truth. And I'm not saying this to be mean at all. We see, uh, everywhere you look, you see confusion. You see distortion. You see infighting among the churches. I see churches doing things that are appalling to me. But they wouldn't be appalling to Jesus. Jesus, in his day, called the religious leaders blind leaders, leading bleeding the blind. Nothing really changes. It's just for the first time I'm living through it. So I've got to deal with it. If we look at the state of our country and our world, what we see is the borders were moved, and not everybody knew it. With no light, with no truth, there is no stability. And so we rock and we reel. We stagger and we grope around for something I can hold on to. And so what we see in so many quarters, so many aspects of our crazy life is people groping, doing the best they can. Who am I? I don't know who I am. So I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to find it. And if we don't understand that these are symptomatic of no light or very little light and no truth, the minute in a country, the minute in a family, let's not even talk about countries yet. I want to say the minute truth is distorted within a country, society falls apart. And we see it. The minute in culture, social parts of our culture, the minute truth is removed or just the border is moved a little bit, people shake. We, truth isn't good. It's required. It is the anchor. It is the only borders we have. And the minute we don't have borders, we don't know who we are and how we're supposed to do things. You try going to another country and you find out real quick, is this allowed? When we went to India the first time, my wife stood in line to go to the bathroom, and all the men were, in, uh, there were only men in the line, and her immediate thoughts were, is a woman allowed to be in a line with a man? But because she was taller than all of the men in that line, she figured she could take them. So, she's like, you're like, I'm pregnant, you try moving me out of this line. This is very serious because it relates to right now. Truth, light, and truth removed from a country and a government produces instability and shaking, and confusion and anger. Remove truth and light from the social parts of our culture, shaking anger, instability. Why are people angry? Because they're afraid. They don't know their place. We don't know what to do. Am I supposed to like you or not? I don't know. And because I don't know what's true, I just have to go with my truth. And we hear this word a lot now, my truth. You go with your truth, Matt. I'll go with my truth. Well, you know what? There's no such thing. God made it simple. There is only one truth. That's to make it easy But those are high level. What about family? What about friendships? No light, no truth is shaking. You move the boundaries, you move the borders, things shake. I imagine in a room like this, we have, as elders in this church, pastors, we have understood something There are tons of issues and things in a small church, which means there are tons of things in a large church. At least in a small church, we can try to get at some of them. In a large church, I think it's easy for people to get lost. But for us today, this can't just be a neat message about light and truth, and yeah, wasn't that... Light's for the eyes. Truth is for the mind. We need borders. Don't go up and tell somebody the Lord told you they're going to marry you because they may shut you down. So you better be right, get it right the first time or else you'll be in a message years later. But what happens when you set aside the truth in your marriage with your kids, with your relatives? What happens when truth becomes your truth. Let's take it even a step deeper. Let's talk about you and you. You, yourself, and you, all three of you. What happens when you don't regard truth? See, that's where the ripple effect really starts. It starts individually. And if I, the devil, says... If I can get you to shake, if I can cause you, if I can put out your light, if I can skew your vision. I mean, that's what they did with Samson, if you want to read in the Old Testament. The first thing they did with Samson, they could not counter that guy. That guy was phenomenal. When the Spirit of God came upon him, he killed thousands with a donkey's jawbone because he didn't have anything else. What's the first thing they did once they got him? Put out his eyes. What's the first thing the devil wants with you? Put out your eyes. What's the first thing you wanted with Eve and Adam? Put out your eyes. So, guess what's on the agenda? What's on the menu this week? How do I distort somebody's vision? How do I get them off just a little bit? Is God really? Does God really? I know the Bible says, but. Is there a little bit of darkness in God? Does he really want me to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living as we said? Or is he really just holding my, finger, my toes over the fire just to make me squirm and scream a little bit? Anybody ever heard that, thought that? I did. I've lived a long life. I'm much older than I look. <laughs> questioning God's ways, questioning his character, questioning what he's really after. Why is it so hard Someday I'll teach on life as school, but life is. Life is school, and its classes include being a parent to a child. Its classes include being a teenager. Some people never grow out of it. It took me a long time to grow out of being a teenager. Class, parenting, marriage is a class, and what's the point? Don't be selfish. You're going to learn. You're going to learn. This is the most uninspiring counsel I will give any young married couple. You're going to be pressed to love somebody. You better love him now because you're going to be pressed to love somebody else more than yourself. And you aren't off the hook because you're told to lay down your life as Christ laid down his. You're going to be pressed. Your selfishness is going to be confronted not just early on, but well into it because there are levels of this class. You never get out of it. Parenting addresses selfishness in an even greater way. If marriage didn't address this my time, your time thing, you know, this is me time, Josh. There's no such thing as me time. Wait till you have kids. Then there's really no me time. And the list goes on. But in all of these things... The devil is interested in putting out the eyes of the individual, which will put out the eyes of a couple, which will put out the eyes of society, which then puts out the eyes of the government. So this shaking we're seeing, the, the answer isn't, let's fix the president, let's fix this, let's fix that. Everybody's groping everybody's shaking, everybody's trying to do what they think is right. And I'm not mim- mo- mocking that. I'm saying people are really trying to do what they think is right. Eve thought what she was doing was right, and Adam did too. They thought this was going to be a good thing. And it all boils down to one thing, figuring out what's good and what's not. And those are decisions we make regularly. Every day you're you're involved with, should I buy the red car or the blue car? Should we do this? Should we do that? And all these things are why we were reconciled to God. So that we might receive light and so that truth might keep us safe along the way. And so our life is to be a growing, as we grow from infant believers up to Fathers and mothers, grandfathers and mothers in the Lord. It's still a constant walk where life is still school, even when we're old. Things are still being dealt with. Things are still being uh, addressed. Light is still necessary, and so is truth. So, hopefully, sorry, I went a little bit long today, but next week we will finish up with this series. But hopefully... Today, maybe a finger has been put by God on some part of your life regarding some place where I've been questioning God, some place where I've been questioning truth, because that is the Genesis 3 attack on mankind. If I can get Adam and Eve to fall, it'll domino into history which required us to be born again. So all of these things start at a small level, a you level, a me level. And they all start with, it's normal for you and I to receive light. And we just need to understand, truth becomes our boundaries that keep us safe in that. So if we can just commit ourselves to the Lord in this. Father, I ask you to touch people all over this room enlighten people's eyes to places where truth is being challenged and where they're letting go of things regarding you, where accusations against you are being brought up. Help firm your people up in this room. Let's start just here. Father, I'm asking you to stabilize people by causing them to pick truth back up, to cling to truth again, to not be shaken by all of the opinions and all of the information that's raging. Help us in this time. Use your light and your truth to stabilize individuals in this room. Help us. We are so in need of you and you alone. As your spirit walks alongside us, we ask for you to confirm your word of guiding us into truth. And for the help of your Holy Spirit, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.